There is a lot of confusion in the world just now. As a result of this pandemic, we're all facing situations that we've never experienced before. People are afraid about their health, their family, their job, their education. The future is uncertain and the situation is rapidly changing. And so we all want to understand what is happening and what we can do to protect ourselves. But information is sometimes unclear. Different countries follow different policies. Some go for full lockdown like we're in just now. Others just for social distancing. Some enforce the wearing of masks. Some people say it doesn't matter. Some people are starting to relax the rules. Some people are are continuing to impose these rules. And then into this confusion, circulating around social media, are ridiculous myths. I don't know if you've heard any of them, but as a result, people have been taking hot baths, eating garlic, drinking excess alcohol, and even setting fire to mobile phone masts, all in a vain hope of protecting ourselves from this virus. On that very first Easter morning, many of the disciples were similarly confused. They were sad, they were fearful, they were bewildered. In fact, two of them decided, in a sense, that they'd had enough. They were heading home, back from Jerusalem, back to Emmaus. And as they went, they tried to make sense of all that had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? and do not know the things that have happened there in these days. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in words and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. These two friends were confused. They were still reeling from all of the events of the past few days. And I don't think that's surprising at all, considering all that had happened. These two friends were shocked about how their friend had died, how he'd been arrested, how he'd been mocked, how he'd been tried and crucified. It was such a brutal way to die. But more than that, (coughs) these two friends were struggling to know how to make sense of what had happened. They were struggling to know what to make of all of their hopes that they'd placed in Jesus. 
They said this in verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They had trusted in him. They placed all their hopes and dreams in this man. And his crucifixion had not only put an end to his life, but also to their hopes for the future. But it wasn't just Jesus' death that they were struggling with, struggling to understand. They were also trying to make sense of some incredible news that they'd heard. Verse 22, in addition to some of our women, amazed us. These women had earlier gone to Jesus' tomb. They discovered that the stone was rolled away. The guards were nowhere to be seen. And most of all, the tomb was empty. Only the Jesus' grave clothes were, were there, lying exactly where the body had lain. But Jesus was not there. And then they'd seen angels that had said to them, He is not here. He has risen. It must have been an amazing experience for these women. It was beyond their wildest dreams. Even though Jesus had spoken about this many times, none of them expected this. In fact, it was such good news that when they told the disciples, They thought it was too good to be true. But they did not believe the woman, verse 11 of Luke 21 says, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. At least Peter and John, they checked it out for themselves. But even after seeing the empty tomb, Peter left wondering to himself what had happened, as it says in verse 12. He was confused, unsure, his mind full of questions and doubts. And these two friends on that road from Jerusalem to Emmaus were exactly the same. They didn't know what to make of all of this. They didn't know what to believe. They were left with far too many questions and far too few answers. Now I think that can be really encouraging for us today. Because these first century followers were just as sceptical as any of us would be. They were not gullible, superstitious people, ready to believe anything that they had heard. They wanted evidence, proof, certainty, just as much as we do. That's because the question of what happened on Easter Sunday is not just simply a historical one or a theoretical one. It is a totally crucial question because Jesus' resurrection is the basis, is the foundation of our hope. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then our faith is empty. We're trusting in someone who is dead. And so he cannot hear us, he cannot help us, he cannot save us if Christ has not been risen. Paul went on, he said if Christ has not been raised, then you are still in your sins. 
If Jesus did not rise again on that third day, then his death didn't pay for our forgiveness. We are still under condemnation. We're still lost, without God, without hope in this world. And Paul also said, if Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If Easter Sunday is a myth, then so is our hope of heaven. If Jesus is still dead, then the grave ends everything. So this is the most crucial question. If Jesus is still dead, he is just a fraud. And we are without hope. But if Jesus is alive, then he was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. And he is the living Savior who can forgive all of our sins and give us a secure and wonderful future. So we need this confusion cleared up. We need to be really sure that Jesus is alive today. And that's why Jesus met up with these two friends. They didn't know it yet. But he was going to open their eyes to the wonderful truth that he is alive. So these two men, or two people on the road to Emmaus, were confused. But listen to how Jesus responded to them. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things, and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus' words here might sound a little harsh. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe. Why did Jesus call them foolish and slow to believe? Well, it wasn't because they needed evidence or they needed proof. Because faith is not about blindly accepting everything that we're told without any evidence. Faith and evidence are not mutually exclusive. They are not enemies. That's what we've seen with in John's Gospel. John wrote to provide evidence so we can come to faith. He said he wrote his gospel for that reason. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus did not rebuke these two friends because they wanted evidence, but rather he challenged them because they refused to believe the evidence they already had. There was the compelling evidence of the empty tomb. The stone rolled away. Jesus' body not being there. The folded grave clothes. Many people have investigated the evidence of the the empty tomb and they've concluded that the only explanation that stands up under scrutiny is that Jesus rose again. Then there's all the eyewitness testimony. Of the woman who listened to the angels, of Mary Magdalene, of Peter, of the other disciples later on. 
all those people who met the risen Christ. But the evidence that Jesus focused on here is the evidence of the scriptures. He said to them in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The events of that weekend were confusing, they were mind-blowing, they were shocking. But they should have expected it, because that's what the Old Testament scriptures were all about. The Old Testament correctly predicted so many aspects of Jesus' life. For example, his virgin birth. His place of birth, his family line, who he is, his miracles, his teaching, his healing. It also correctly predicted the details of the last 24 hours of his life on earth. Before his death. In his book, Evidence Demands a Verdict, a guy called Josh McDowell, he reports 29 of these fulfilled prophecies about Jesus' last 24 hours. For example, how he was sold for 30 pieces of silver, as Zechariah 11 says so. Or how he was beaten, as Isaiah 50 says, I offer my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. Or how Psalm 22 speaks about how they they have pierced my hands and my feet. Or how Isaiah 53 says how he was killed, going to be killed alongside criminals. He was numbered with the transgressors. Psalm 22, how his clothes were gambled for. They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Again, Psalm 53, how he was buried in a rich man's tomb. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And then Psalm 16 tells about how how he'd rise again. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see the cave. All of those things didn't just happen to Jesus. They were what God had promised would happen to his Messiah hundreds of years previously. So we can be sure that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. But on that road that day, Jesus was not just claiming that he was the fulfillment of specific scriptures, specific promises, prophecies in the in the Bible. He was actually claiming to be the central focus of scripture. He claimed that the message of the Bible was really all about him. So these two friends had compelling evidence to believe in Jesus. The empty tomb, the eyewitnesses, and the fulfilled scripture. And they all demonstrated that Jesus is indeed the Christ who died for us and rose again to save us. But there was one final piece of evidence 
that these two friends were going to receive. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So maybe it was when they came to the table that they saw his hands and the marks of the nails. Or maybe when they broke the bread, they were reminded of the Last Supper. Whatever it was, their eyes were opened and they recognised him. For the first time, they recognised that their travelling companion, their, their teacher of scripture, their dinner guest, was none other than the Lord. And when he immediately disappeared, they realised why their journey with him had been just so special. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This was the final piece of evidence that convinced these two. They realised that they had met Jesus for themselves. For us, it is great to have the evidence of the empty tomb, or the eyewitnesses, and the fulfilled scripture. But it's so important that we meet Jesus for ourselves. The resurrection is not just a historical fact. It's not just a a theologically significant event. It can be a personal reality. Because we can meet with the risen Lord. By faith, we can invite him into our hearts, into our lives, and we can accept him as our saviour and our Lord. On that first Easter Sunday, those two friends met Jesus. But they didn't just sit there afterwards. They didn't just go to sleep that night. They didn't just go back to their old agendas and plans. Instead, meeting Jesus changed everything. Okay. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen, has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. So when they walked away from Jerusalem, their minds had been full of confusion. Their discussion full of doubts and don't knows. But when they returned back to Jerusalem, they declared it is true, the Lord has risen. Their confusion had been replaced with confidence. Now they knew that God had been in control of all of it. They knew that Jesus had died to save them. They knew that he had risen from the dead. They knew that he had conquered death. They knew 
that Jesus was alive. And that's what Easter can do for us. If we meet Jesus through faith, then even in this uncertain world, even with all that is happening in our world right now, we can have amazing confidence. We can say with Paul, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. We can have the certainty and security of knowing that we belong to Jesus, that he has saved us, and that nothing and no one can ever separate us from his love. And this brings real joy. The Bible doesn't tell us how long their return journey to Jerusalem took them. But it does say that there was real urgency to it. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They'd trudged down that road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, weighed down by heavy hearts. But now they eagerly returned to Jerusalem energized with the thrill of knowing that Jesus was alive and with the desperate desire to share that good news. This is the joy of the resurrection. The joy of knowing that our faith is certain. That because the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God. It proves, it's a joy of knowing that our sins are forgiven. Because the resurrection proves that his death on the cross was sufficient for us. And it's the joy of knowing that our future is secure. Because death has been defeated. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course the resurrection doesn't remove all of the problems in this world. But it puts them into proper perspective. Although we might suffer loss. Although things might not work out the way that we want them to. We have a sure and certain hope. Because of the resurrection, we can rejoice today that we're not on our own. We can rejoice that Jesus is working for our good. We can rejoice that his grace is sufficient for us. We can rejoice that nothing that we do for the Lord is empty or in vain. And we can rejoice that our troubles are tiny and temporary compared with the future glory of being with Jesus forever. So my prayer this morning is that the resurrection will fill our hearts with this unshakable hope and that we will be eager to share the wonderful news That it is true. The Lord has risen.